Hello, world. I'm Greg Patton. Hey, it's a Wednesday. News, information, coming, all kinds of stuff. Call a friend. Tell them we're on the air. Was excited yesterday. Did some recordings for Southwest Radio Church. Talked to Dr. Ken Copley, a leading authority on the spirit world today in his new book coming out called The Great Deceiver. It was fantastic. And we were both excited doing the the radio interviews, in that we know that we are helping people. Jesus said he come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. When I talked to Dr. Copley about how many people he'd really helped, it's into the thousands. And that's going to be a great interview, great book coming up here in the month of January in Southwest Radio Church. We'll continue to talk about it, but it's something you need to get. Very real. Jesus is working a part of the ministry constantly for Jesus, teaching, preaching, always working against Satan and his demons. Something for you and I to consider today. It's real and getting worse, according to all the experts. Continue to pray for us as we enlarge this ministry and do more and more in the days ahead in these, what I believe are final days. God bless. What in the world is going on? Warnock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One in Georgia. That's 51 for the Democrats and some control of a lot of stuff going on in the Senate. It's a sad, sad day in Georgia. Hey, this is a Denoah Baptist preacher. That makes it all right. Warnock defeats Herschel Walker in Georgia. Hey, the president of the fraternity where the University of Idaho victims were stabbed to death, four of them. The president of that fraternity says he has full faith in the investigation as of right now. The Moscow PD is doing everything right. How would he know? Well, anyway, their confidence. When do you think it's going to get solved? Week, month, years? Never know on stuff like this, do you? Meanwhile, Donald Trump's company, convicted of tax fraud on Tuesday for helping executives dodge taxes and extra perks such as Manhattan apartments, luxury cars, a repudiation of financial practices at the former president's business as he mounts another run for the White House. Trump not charged with anything, but uh, they'll drag him in and make him number one before it's all over, of course. For a while, they were in the news every day, and it's been a while now since they've been in the news talking about Loudoun County, Virginia, and the school superintendent and that big mess down there. The latest happened last night. The Loudoun County Superintendent Scott Ziegler fired in response to a grand jury report on the district's handling of two sexual assaults committed by the same student. The Northern Virginia District drew national attention last year after a father accused it at a school board meeting of covering up his daughter's sexual assault, in which, and here you go, in which that biological boy wearing a skirt raped her in the girl's bathroom. The suspect then transferred to another school in the district and assaulted another girl and faces charges in both cases. This is just so wrong. You know, we might pause here and say, what is going on in Virginia, for crying out loud? Come on, say it ain't so. The head of the Family Foundation down there in Virginia is reporting that a Richmond restaurant abruptly canceled the group's reservation for a meeting room and meals because the group is pro-life and pro-family. What place is this? Oh, Metzger's Bar and Butchery. 
They refuse to service our pre-reserved events, said Victoria Cobb of the Federalist. The intolerant lefty loonies coming for Christians everywhere in America. And we were just the latest target in the way of this past Wednesday night. For weeks, we'd planned a gathering in a private room to fellowship and update our supporters about our work. But an hour and a half before the event was set to take place, one of the restaurant's owners called our team to cancel us. An employee had looked up our organization and their wait staff refused to serve us. Ah, pro-life, pro-family, it's evil. Okay, listen very closely. You need to know that day is night, uh-huh, and up is down, and, well, things like that. I've just come out in a report about how wonderful we did in Afghanistan in its withdrawal, leaving behind 15,000 Americans and $82 billion worth of military equipment. It was a wonderful thing that we did. What? Well, what's going on here? It's a Sleepy Joe and his band of demons. Joe Biden's administration routinely rewrites science. You know that, right? For example, under his ideology, Joe Biden says men can become women just by saying so. And you can't argue that, my friend. And, and masks that don't halt the pandemic at all, and those infections actually halt the pandemic. Now one of Biden's officials is literally rewriting history. It is a White House spokesman, John Kirby, who is now claiming that the U.S. military abandonment of American military property and equipment in Afghanistan up to $82 billion worth, leaving it to the terrorists, the Taliban, made other world powers marvel at us. What? Kirby was putting himself on record disagreeing with the report from the U.S. Department of Defense. That came to Congress on national security developments relating to China. Very important. And you see, here's the truth and how Biden's group rewrites history. Reports suggest that China capitalized on the withdrawal to convince world leaders that the U.S. is not a reliable ally, according to a report from the American Center for Law and Justice. The PRC employed multiple diplomatic tools in an attempt to erode U.S. and partner influence, the report reads, including highlighting the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And you wonder why? Merriam-Webster just named gaslighting. Gaslighting. The word of the year, of course. Okay, oh, Biden, you tell us how it really was and is in good grief, Charlie Brown. I don't know if that's a Pentagon's assessment that it was a propaganda gift to China. If anything, nations like China and Russia took a look at what we did in Afghanistan, and they had to marvel at the speed, the efficiency, and the effectiveness that a very small number of troops, a small number of troops were able to move that many Afghans out of the country. No other nation in the world can do that. So, so here's where we are. Uh, most of what you hear on Hello World, down is up, day is night, and Afghanistan went so smoothly that we had Russia and China quaking in their boots at how impressive we were in our display of military might and speed. These people have lost their ever-loving minds. Where is my gun? Well, it was today, 7.55 in the morning, Hawaii time, December 7th, 1941. A Japanese dive bomber bearing the red symbol of the rising sun of Japan that was on its wings appears out of nowhere above the island of Oahu. A swarm of 360 Japanese planes then followed, descending on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor in a ferocious attack 
Surprise attack struck a critical blow against the U.S. Pacific Fleet and drew the United States into World War II, a day that will live in history, December the 7th. The war cost a lot in human life. The American contribution to the successful Allied war effort spanned four years and cost 400,000 American lives. My, oh, my. So what do you think? What makes a good church? Do you know what's really happening there? How about if they run 4,500 people? That's got to be a winner. You know, back in the day, Christian church leaders and pastors were known as people who gave up everything. Many still do today. I know pastors who are working for nothing. They have a job, and then they preach on the weekends, and that doesn't cost the church a penny. Wealth, stature, material possessions, sometimes even love. They give it all up to devote themselves to Almighty God. You know, it's not so much these days. I was just reading about uh, a minister by the name of Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Texas running 4,500 people, and uh, he's been on a hiatus, I guess kind of a break here for two months because he was writing some unusual emails to one of the ladies in the church, not his wife, and so they took him out of the program. But they've put him back in the pulpit. They're ready for him to start ministering again. Matt Chandler's just one of several Christian pastors who've made a small fortune preaching the word, I think. Chandler's returning to his congregation now. It was a three-month leave prompted by an investigation into his communications with a woman, not his wife. Chandler's net worth pales in comparison to so many others. Today, many pastors earn millions and run their congregations more like a business, a corporation, than a church. Who are those people? Six of them. I'll take just a second or two. Think who might be on this list of really, really rich preachers. The big kahuna has to be televangelist Kenneth Copeland, richest pastor in America, if not in the whole world, at $300 million. Isn't that something? That's just unbelievable to me. Some say, oh, that's really low. Copeland's 1,500-acre campus, private airstrip, hangar, private jets. Although, again, $300 million, that's belief net, puts his wealth closer to $760 million. Uh-huh. Who else? Never heard of this guy. Bishop Deva Papa Oyegato. He's the Nigerian bishop, second richest in the world at two hundred million dollars and runs the Living Faith Church worldwide. Of course he does. And then Bishop T.D. Jakes, $147 million in his pockets. Thomas Dexter, that's the T.D. Jakes, founded the Potter's House as a non-denominational megachurch back in 1996. He has 34 acres there in Dallas, Texas. He's worked with several U.S. presidents met with George Bush in a prayer service for the victims of Hurricane Katrina, and he's also been involved with Barack Obama, $147 million. T.D. Jakes. Pat Robertson, he's the poor boy. He only has $100 million in his coffers, probably the most well-known of all of them because of his radio and television, the 700 Club. Wow. Benny, Benny Hinn. The longer I serve God, the more I understand that his promises never fail me. Benny Hinn, 
Thank you, Lord, for the $42 million you've put in my depository. This is your day. And the Miracles Crusade Faith Healing he holds it in most stadiums worldwide. He founded the Orlando Christian Center in 1983. And then our boy Joel, <laughs> 40 million. Poor, poor, poor Joel. Only 40 million is senior pastor of the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. His dad was a real preacher, John. He founded the church. Of course, Joel took it over, and uh, my goodness, when his dad died of a heart attack in 1999, and he's turned it into a wealth machine, Joel Olstein. That's the six. And finally, who said that? Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Will Rogers. A warning out there for all you drinkers, the consumption of alcohol may cause you to think that uh, you're Superman or that you can actually sing. Where's my Bible? Life 101, right after this. Just a touch of good news? Sure it is. When I came to believe in Jesus Christ's teachings, I ceased desiring what I had wished for before. The direction of my life, my desires became different. That was good and bad changing places. Leo Tolstoy. And remember, your faith rests not in what you are or what you're going to be or how you feel or what you know, but in what Jesus Christ is and in what he has done and in what he is doing now in your life. Good stuff. And remember always, this is the day the Lord hath made and we're to rejoice and be glad in it. So how would you characterize your walk with God today? Is, is it one of assurance and joy? Are you happy at his continuing uninterrupted forgiveness for your sins? We need to go back there. I think often I'm talking about when you were saved. I do it a lot as a reminder of what I used to be and what I am now. Or, wait a minute. Are you one of those that feels as if a dark cloud of divine displeasure somehow hovers over you today? You know, if you're living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and you feel unable to enjoy your relationship with him, it might be that a false sense of guilt is, is hampering you. The devil and his demons working you over the day. The word forgive means to excuse for an offense, to release from punishment, or absolve from payment of something owed. In terms of our sin debt, the foundation for our forgiveness is the sacrificial, substitutionary, all-sufficient, get that, Atoning death of Jesus, Romans 6.23 instructs us about the crucial role of divine pardon, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgiveness, then, is a matter of life and death, is it not? And we ought to take that very seriously. To understand the importance of sensing our Heavenly Father's approval, consider an earthly example. Many people, unfortunately, grow up in a home where, regardless of what they do or how well they do it, parental praise and encouragement's just not there. I wonder how many of you listening can say, been there, done that. And the result is chronic insecurity in their life, a lack of intimacy, bondage that stems from wondering if their performance can ever really be adequate. My friend today, if you feel uncertainty regarding your relationship to God or somehow you believe that you deserve his disapproval, you're going to be unable to experience the intimacy and the joy being wrapped in the Father's loving embrace today. 
And sadly, that exact problem plagues so many of God's people today. Some may feel this way because they are living in disobedience, but but too often a false sense of guilt results from not being quite sure of pleasing God. Some people think of righteousness and sin in terms of kind of a cosmic scale. They wrongly assume the good they have done will outweigh their negative conduct. Now, if that were the case, God accepted and judged us solely on the basis of our performance. Some unsaved individuals could easily outdistance certain believers with regard to those, oh, kind and benevolent deeds in life. But my friend, performance is not the basis of God's judgment. The reason we are guilty is not simply that we have committed evil deeds, we've sinned. We are guilty because of what we are, human beings born with a sinful nature. When the first man sinned against God there in Genesis 2, 16, 17, the human race became tainted with a congenital sin problem called evil nature, also known as the flesh, and it was transmitted to all of Adam and Eve's descendants, to you. That means that every person is born with a, a bent. You're away from God. The truth should be obvious to everyone who has ever observed a young child for any length of time. Isn't it strange that kids have to be taught obedience, but instinctively know how to disobey, how to be bad. Rebellion comes naturally to every human being. But when Christ comes into your life, the old nature is crucified and replaced by a brand new nature that is obedient to God. This does not mean you're never going to sin. We still have the capacity to do wrong. Of course you do every day. As well as your behavior patterns, it's got to be restrained. That's for all of us. However, sinning is against our new nature. It no longer fits into what we are as children of God. Isn't that true? In Jeremiah 2.13, the prophet sums up the essence of our guilt, regardless of the details of any particular wrongdoing. And there's a million stories out there today. For my people have done what? Forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah is describing reservoirs chiseled out of rock to catch water for drinking and, and for other purposes. A cistern was beneficial only after rainfall. It was useless during droughts. And if it happened to have a crack, it would prove as ineffective as a hole dug by the seashore, which is filled by the next wave but quickly empties because it has a sandy bottom. In contrast, God's living waters refers to continuously flowing water that is pure and readily available and plentiful. Living water, my friend, that is a gift of God. Jeremiah likens sin to rejecting ever-flowing fountains in favor of carving out our own imperfect, limited little basins. You know, if you refuse the Lord Jesus Christ and his boundless resources, then you're attempting to meet your needs your way based on your own powers. That's in opposition to the plan of God. Such self-reliance is the same as saying, See how deep and wide my cistern is? See many gallons of water that it can hold? I dug it with my own hands, my own strength. In other words, living apart from God is really a matter of being proud. That's a Christian problem, boy. Unbelievers are not only ones who make this arrogant error. Christ followers who have been obediently will also face situations involving lifestyle choices, conduct choices in life. And despite previous conformity to the will of God, they may now think, Lord, I, uh, I think I know what you're saying here, but here's what I'm going to go ahead and do. 
and they take their own path. Jeremiah was trying that when he went to carve out his own lifestyle apart from God. We are expending a great deal of energy to dig our own holes that got large cracks in them. It cannot meet our needs, cannot bring security, will never provide contentment or offer peace, nor can it earn the Lord's favor. We experience His blessings not by our self-efforts, but simply by receiving what God pours out as well, a gift of living water into our lives. You know, we tend to put tremendous energy into doing things to suit ourselves, which is fundamental nature of sin, meeting needs our own way. However, it's not going to work because God designed a life in such a way that we can never be truly satisfied except by God's presence. So let me ask you, have you been expanding energy trying to dig your own cistern, carving out a lifestyle that you think will somehow bring peace and fulfillment and joy? If so, you may not be guilty of any, oh, blatant sins, like lying and adultery and stealing and gossip and murder, and you just simply ignored God. The Lord sees that as a big sin. While He created you for a primary purpose of glorifying Him, according to 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, hewing out your own lifestyle as a way of glorifying yourself, you're guilty of choosing to neglect the Lord, which is the nature of a sinful man. The only hope we have is a transformation by the grace of God. When we receive the Savior into our life, we're given a brand new nature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This time, it goes toward God instead of away from God. When it comes to a new attitude and perspective, no longer must we operate under a cloud of divine disapproval, struggling somehow to earn God's acceptance. No longer must we strive to work harder, wondering, how much deeper, how much wider do I have to dig this thing? How large must it be? Suddenly you come to the realization, why have I been trying so hard to hew out my own abundant eternal life, which is, hey, it's a free gift. And here's something. You've probably heard it. I can't believe a loving Father, your God, would ever send anybody to hell. I agree. Let me explain. You must trample over the cross of Jesus Christ to get to hell. And you also have to tread through his blood by an empty tomb over the prayers people have offered for you across the hymns that you have sung, the sermons you have heard, and the witness of others that have been born to you. You have to step on the word of God that is all around you, as well as the evidence of Almighty God himself in all creation, Romans 1.20. In other words, you have to fight your way into hell crossing all the barriers God has put in your path to keep you from a life of selfish rebellion and disregard for Him. God doesn't send people to hell. He laid down His life in front of them, and they have to deliberately, willfully choose to trample over God to get there. The problem, not your deeds, but your inherited sinful nature. Admit it. Ask God to forgive you today, not based on any promise to do better or be better, but on the basis of Jesus paying your full sin debt on the cross. You dig the well, that cistern, it's going to continue to leak. But the moment you receive Christ as your personal Savior, your guilt is canceled. You're completely forgiven, and you receive a brand new nature. John 3, 3, born again, great term. And it's God's free gift of living water. And it will flow freely and abundantly into your life. Don't stop it. And a closing thought or two, sure. When my wife gets a little upset sometimes, just a simple, honey, 
calm down. I, I say that in a soothing voice, and that's all it takes to get her really upset. <laughs> and then there's this. To the person who stole my antidepressants, I hope you're happy now. <laughs> that's it. That must say for another day. Join me on Facebook, Greg, G-R-E-G, Patton, P-A-T-T-E-N. Gee, thanks a bunch for being here. And that is, that's the way it is, Wednesday, December the 7th, 2022. God bless you. Have a great Wednesday.